0: Welcome to The Mortar and Pestle, a PCCA podcast, where we discuss all things compounding and all things concerning independent pharmacy. Now, here are your hosts, Mike Delisio, North American Sales Director, and Sebastian Dennison, Clinical Compounding Pharmacist. Welcome, Compounding World, and welcome to the latest episode of a Mortar and Pestle, a PCCA podcast. My name is Mike Delisio, and as always, joined with Sebastian Dennison. Seb, how in the heck are you? Things are
1: awesome. Welcome back, listeners. Glad to have you here.
0: Yeah, it's glad to be with you as well. And no stranger to the podcast. Um, for those that tuned in to our last episode, we went back into the realm of dermatological preparations. And I personally feel that this is a continuation of that, uh, discussing some of the importance of the physical attributes of dermatology and why it's so important, especially um, on the facial areas of the body and in regards to some of the clinical requests that we get at the clinical services level. Um, And none other that we are happy to have on the podcast is Sarah Hover. Sarah, welcome.
2: Thank you. excited to be with you guys again today.
0: Yeah, we're super excited to have you. We were just talking about the fact that this is the fourth installment and fourth opportunity that you've had to be with us. Um, in previous episodes, talking about a variety of different things, uh, like autoimmune disorder, thyroid function, PCOS, et cetera. But today we're going to talk about scarring and, you know, the different types of scars, the products, the formulations, the, the true opportunities that we have to work with patients and prescribers and, and try to deal with some of the more difficult scenarios You've been obviously a member of our clinical services team from some, for quite some time. Um, obviously, a colleague of Sebastian. Both of you have an extreme amount of knowledge in as it pertains to scar treatments and therapies. So this is going to be a very heavy clinical conversation, but really talking about some of the innovation, the products that we have, um, and the formulations to obviously back up the best patient outcomes. So, you know, making... I guess the general comment that you've covered some other topics on the podcast. Where does your mind go with scar treatments and, you know, the different types of scars that we we aim to try to help fix?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, we get lots of calls and clinical services and, you know, usually it starts out with, hey, what's the best scar prep that you have? And um, as many members know, I like to ask lots of questions. And the first question we really need to know is the type of scar, Um, because the different um, APIs that we would add to, you know, pracacil would be, you know, dependent on whether it was atrophic. Um, So the body's just not making enough collagen, hypertrophic, it's just laying down too much collagen, um, or you know a, a keloid, which is which is super difficult to treat. So just knowing you know how how old the scar is, um, you know a lot of a lot of people don't realize that it it's eighteen to twenty four months before a wound is completely healed. So when someone says, oh yeah, it's a it's an old scar, it was from four months ago, that actually is a new scar. There's still a lot of impact that we can have in helping that healing process. Um, so you know just kind of understanding you know, the whole um, situation of that particular patient and understanding what type of scar it is, kind of helps guide us as to what actives to use.
0: So traditionally, you know, thinking about the aging of scars, going back and what would you define as an old scar and what are some of the traditional treatment options for old scarring?
2: Yeah, so the, um, an old scar would be you know, greater than two years. Um, you know, the traditional therapies, if it's a hypertrophic scar, is they will inject a scar with a, with a steroid, which my understanding of that is, is extremely painful, um, but there's just not a, a, a lot of options for patients, um, you know, when you're just looking at traditional therapies, um, but, you know, I've, I've seen fantastic um, results um, from Prakasil, even with an older Older scar. Um, obviously, a new scar, we have more impact of helping with that collagen formation, helping, you know, slow down the inflammation, because sometimes inflammation just doesn't know where to stop. Um, inflammation gets a negative rap, but it's, it's part of the, um, the whole healing process. It's just when it goes unchecked for too long that, you know, things co- go awry. Um, when there's excess mast cells in the, in, the, um, in the wound, in the scar, that's the, shown to be more likely to be a hypertrophic scar, again, because that inflammation is out of control. So, um, yeah.
1: And, and you're mentioning uh, sort of this ability to produce collagen, um, and I'm going to jump in. You discussed the types of collagen as well. And there's a difference there in how that sort of pulls the wound together and then forms that scar. Is it okay if you touch upon that a little bit so people have a better understanding? Because not everyone is um, as, a, as experienced with scars as you.
2: Yeah, no, no definitely the, the different types of, um, of collagen helps as like the scaffolding to help um, you know, pull everything together and kind of fill in the, the spot where the, where the um, injury was. Um, it um, and sometimes too, if you think of a um, like a burn scar, um, some of the um, some of the tissue in there starts pulling, and it's, it's called um, contracture. It just kind of pulls and looks, you know, a, a little off. And there's um, some different APIs that can help with the contracture um, wounds as well or healing. Um, but yeah, the, the different types of collagen make, makes a big difference in just the whole scaffolding. I mean, we're never going to put back um, an injured tissue back 100% where it was before, um, but we can certainly help get, get it there.
1: And so when you're, when you're working with these different types of collagen, uh, we start talking about treatments and then using appropriate Molecules. So this is kind of where it starts is it's not just how old is the scar, but it's also a mechanism of injury um, And then what's how it's actually presenting at this time and then my personal favorite is how old is the patient? I always ask that as well because it's that can actually have a big difference. So um, Just so kind of springboarding from there What are your first impressions if you do get asked that question and we can start filling in if if, where we would go with our best formulations
2: yeah, so I mean, I, I always start with pracosil. if it's a if it's a simple you know simple scar. I like to start there first. Um, we can always add a little bit of aloe to just help help with the process. But um, if we know that there um, you know other scars have been hypertrophic, then I like to throw in a mast cell stabilizer just to kind of keep that at at bay um, to hopefully keep from extra collagen being laid down. Um, you know, if you know, they, depending on how it how it presents, like I said, if it was a a, a burn, then I would. There's some actives I like for that, and to help with the contracture. Um, but yeah, it just um, you know, just really really depends on on you know where where we're going. But um, you know, if if we know we're hypertrophic, caffeine is another another option. Um, but there's there's lots of lots of options which is great with compounding.
0: (laughs) This question is probably for both of you, but if you think about your experience as a pharmacist, you know, 10 plus years ago versus where we're at today, where do you feel that the innovation and the utilization of, of different bases or products have changed the way that scars are being treated and, and, what has it been like for you guys as both pharmacists dealing with patients? Because it sounds like ten plus years ago, there obviously was still the same available API options to use. But how impactful are is the base technology relating to some of these formulations?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, the I mean, you know, silicone has, has been a huge um, huge part of it. And prior to to Pacacil, there were. You know dermatologists would recommend these silicone sheets um, that patients could apply and they you know got great results with it I think it was just difficult for the patient to to use um, and to remain in place um, so I, I think the being you know, able to apply a, a, a silicone based um, gel um, has been a total game changer I mean the, the the before and after pictures I've seen is it just it just blows me away and I like to look at the, the one picture of the, of the patient that had the basal cell carcinoma that really you know from his nose to the top of his head And um, you know I look at those pictures and think, wow, what a difference that made in that patient's life that you know people aren't taking a hard look and go wow, what happened to him? I mean, you, you can barely even notice now and, and I think that is a, a side of it that we as pharmacists I think get, more tied into you know what's going on at the skin level and how are we healing it. But the psychological effects of a scar um, is something that I think we need to really, really pay attention to because it's, I, I think it's huge.
1: Well, I think Renell touched upon this in our last podcast. Um, everyone's on Zoom now. And so how you're presenting yourself is, is much more intense, so to speak. Because when you're staring at yourself in the camera or you're staring at yourself on a screen, you kind of become hyper aware of these things. And so yeah, the psychology of SCARS is pretty big. Um, Me personally, you know, we understand some of the mechanisms but we keep evolving and we get more and more information but also understanding some of the mechanisms of the APIs that we're using. um, Understanding the mechanisms with respect to the healing process and then how it can and where to use it, the timing. So it's kind of a, yeah, we had a basic understanding 15 years ago we had a good understanding 10 years ago, but now we have really good science behind some of our choices, which we're just trying to get the word out about because to me, it's this um, 10 years ago, no one was touching scars because it was just too expensive. How are you going to get a silicone sheet and then add a compound and how are we going to do this? But that development in what, 2014 with Praxisil literally turned it on and everyone started getting excited at that point. So Sarah, like I, I'm, I'm going to kind of flip it back to you. I saw an explosion in the market with respect to scars and the addressing of scars by a few key people. They're just like, Hey, this is a, this is an opportunity to really help with this base. And now I still see it as this huge opportunity, but a lot of people pass over it cause it's, eh, how do I get involved? How do I get there? So kind of flipping it to you, how do people get involved in starting addressing these? How do you start people?
2: Right. Um, like we were discussing earlier before the podcast, you know, there's surgeries every day. Um, and so, you know, just getting in with maybe one or two practitioners um, to, to, you know, try to help their patients, you know, um, it's breast cancer awareness month. Doctors are doing surgeries every day for breast cancer patients. Um, you know, I think find a niche, find something that you're passionate about and um, and start a- approaching those um, those areas, because sometimes just a regular, you know, an internist, they, they might think, oh, I, you know, I need to go to the patient needs to go to a specialist. And um, what they don't realize is their compounding pharmacist is their specialist, and that they can, um, you know, really help them with those with those scars. Um, so, you know, I always found relationships was 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 huge with um, you know building a different area of practice, and so. You know, developing some relationships with those practitioners um, would you know as so that they know what to do and, and where to go and you can help them I think it can be daunting you know number one okay what kind of scar is it you know what API do I use and um, you know we've, we've got some great documents that can help with that and then obviously our clinical services team um you know we get we get lots of pictures um to you know how do we how do we help you know this particular patient so
1: when we're talking about this sort of new market, I think it's somewhat like building any new market. You, you do have to take a little bit of education uh, perspective. You do have to gather the documents and then you have to start small and sort of attack in that sense of, well, who's my most likely to pick this up and how do I get them engaged and getting one success and of marketing that to your next one is, is crucial. But I find that most people walk in and if you see them kind of coming in, even the scrapes and uh, sort of basic burns, you sometimes can just ask those patients, oh, look, you know, you don't want to ask to see something sort of more private, but hey, is there something you want to talk about? And hey, have you heard about this? Um, just putting that question out there sometimes elicits a really strong response. So um, Sarah, you, you did talk about some of the literature um, and I'm going to pick on you again because I know the literature is as well. Um, you, there's a couple of articles, and uh, we also have PCCA Science. Which are some of the articles that you you like that you share almost immediately?
2: Yeah. Um, to me, the most fascinating thing I've learned, you know, about about scars and the literature was was is around the mass cell stabilization. Um, I just it kind of it kind of blew me away. I guess I never really realized you know what was going on mechanistically with with the scars and um the you know the abilities that we have um i know me personally i use a mast cell stabilizer when i had a pretty serious um scar and i know what a huge difference it made um so i the literature on that is is um you know is what blew me away recently
1: i i could talk at length about some of the molecules i like um me for me it's uh, the combination therapies. I like the mast cell stabilizer. I like some of the anti-inflammatory effect, but I, I love adding beta glucan and aloe vera. So that's uh, kind of my jam. And I know Matt Jones talks about that a lot. He loves those molecules. He's like, this is where we start for everything. So,
2: yep. Yep. Yep.
1: Um, so how soon do you start treating, um, post wound closure? How soon do you start treating for scars?
2: I usually recommend as soon as soon as the stitches are out, um, you want to make sure that things are closed. But you know, we like I said, there's a whole mechanism and process of of the wound healing, and so we wouldn't necessarily throw in an anti-inflammatory right away um, because inflammation is part of the process so um you know there could be kind of a a two-step approach to a a really new wound as to you know the healing process but usually i like for those those stitches to be out to to get started
1: and then what do you think about bleaching these scars if they're in the first uh, four months to six months
2: (laughs) we get those calls too and um you know they're wanting to use a hydroquinone to for hypertrophic I mean, um, for a hyperpigmentation and a scar, and um, the first question I ask is, what color is it? And most of the time they say that it's red, um, and um, red is is healing. That means there's blood flow, and it's a part of the healing process. So typically, you wouldn't really see a um, hyperpigmented scar for, you know, two years later, um, past the, the healing process. So no, I would not bleach a red new scar. Um, know that that's, that's good, that there's, there's healing. Once it turns white, then we probably don't have as much impact.
1: I, I find that I've gotten the call. It's, it's kind of purpley in color. And I'm like, is the skin cold when you looked at it? and They're like, well, yeah, it was after a bath. And I'm like, mm, OK, purple either. Don't, 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 don't bleach it. It's fine. It yeah. 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 needs like to be brown. <laughs> you're okay um i and then because i am on the same path i generally will mix a little bit of an antibacterial in with my pre-scar therapy as soon as the stitches are out just to make sure and then i'm watching for signs of infection kind of along the same lines um but if i see red unless it's that bright fire truck red and inflamed tissue normal 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 and i'm quite happy about it I, I like, I love, I actually kind of like the scar pictures. It makes me feel like we're going in the right direction because I can see it much easier. So if you do want to track those, we also have the PCCA science where we will help you publish some of your case studies and that actually helps everybody. So if you have an opportunity, Maria Carbello, she's part of our PCCA science team, same with Daniel, Dr. Uh, Lee and Dr. Song, they'll all be involved. So. Yeah, Let's the, talk the talk about scar that, pictures actually. are
2: easier to look at than the wound pictures. Yes. <laughs>
0: I've seen plenty of of, of slide decks there. He's like, no, no. Sebastian showed me plenty of slide decks. I I don't have the stomach for it. And the funny thing is, I thought we were going to be talking about wounds today. So thankfully, we're talking about the scarring. Um, You know, Seb, you brought up a really good point because I always like to take things back to, you know, the sales aspect or the marketing aspect and getting the word out, whether it's patient-driven and, you know, the... Responsibility of the pharmacist to obviously educate the patients and what they can do, and then working together with the prescriber after the fact, and then also working together with prescribers, letting them know what is possible and how they can treat things uniquely. So it's kind of like a, a double-edged sword. But the content that we've created with PCCA Science, um, you know, the abstracts, the the clinical information showing the treatment options, the before and after pictures. How powerful is that, and how could it be utilized in a direct pharmacist to physician? Um, We'll call that relationship setting, whereas they're talking about treatment options, they're going over scientific evidence and what has worked and potentially what has not, and the uniqueness of certain scars. So how can a pharmacist, a member specifically of PCCA, leverage what is found on the PCCA science page um, to hopefully hopefully move the dial with a dermatologist or potentially even with uh, a family practice.
2: Yeah, I, I think that, that data is, um, is, is key. I mean, you know, the world that we're living in, you know, people want, they want evidence, they want literature, they want to make sure that, you know, do no harm. Um, and being able to rely on that, that research um, before and after pictures, I mean, a picture really is a thousand words. Um, those before and after pictures um, really will get someone's attention to then maybe read further. Um, so I, I think it's a great marketing tool to, um, to, to share with those doctors.
1: I think it's also really important um, for the time frame from that before and after picture. Um, if you take, for example, a pediatric patient you know they're seven years old they're going to heal probably within like 12 seconds uh, versus a geriatric patient or sorry somewhere along the lines of like say a a complicated patient who's highly inflamed they might take weeks or even months to start really seeing that progression Um, but if you have a before and after picture and you actually have an established timeline that is um, faster and better resolution than what you would normally see in your typical population of that group the physicians and the providers immediately like you literally see their eyes open up and go, how long was that And you did what with what it, it, it really elicits a very strong positive conversation because they start seeing you as, uh, almost like a, a magic band <laughs> or magic woman in that case. Um, mainly because we've done something that no one else has done for some of this, some of these patient groups, um, healing times in six weeks and no scar that's visible in a geriatric population. Uh, Jack Dunn did a, paper on that. Um, um, and, and going back to that practice with that patient who had the melanoma removed from their nose, it's literally startling to the point that the, the provider is going, wait, let's talk about this more because that's, it's so visual and it's so startling. It's exciting for them. So uh, Sarah, you must have a couple of cases like that, that you can think of specifically that you're like, Ooh, this before and after picture. I've, I've got one that I'm going to give a shout out to someone. So
2: yeah, they. Um, yeah, the. I always think I always think of the basis so It just is just amazing to me. Um, you know, the the pictures that Jack has done, I um, mean, are just phenomenal as well. He's he's done a lot of great things. So, um, yeah, it's just it's it's amazing. And you know, you you look at the pictures and you look at the before, and to me, I see sadness in people's eyes, um, just because of what's going on. And the after pictures, literally, you can see a gleam in their eye, and you can just know what a huge huge difference that's making to their psyche.
1: So what, one of our pharmacists, uh, in our, in, in our network, his name is Trey, he actually treated his own child specifically. And it was remarkable, it was a surgery on this child's back and, uh, it was heartbreaking. And he was the first one to say like, look, I want to fix this. Um, and his kid is running around now. And you can see faint lines where the surgery was. Um, but if you ever run into Trey, he's he's just he's he's the first one who's going to tell you he's just like Matt. Who um, they're the, they're, the, they're literally the faces of scar performance and what we can do in the compounding world. So, um, Sarah, back again um, now. Without making you uh, build your favorite formula, when we do have a keloid or hypertrophic scar, what mechanisms do you kind of uh, use? To break down some of that scar tissue, first and foremost, because I know a lot of people are like, "Well, I want to remove it completely." So, what do we do there?
2: Yeah, that's that's really tough. Um, prevention is definitely the best option, um, especially with with a keloid. I think I think it's very difficult um, to to treat a keloid. Um, you know, the um, tamoxifen. I usually you know go there, or you know, obviously the steroids. Um, but I do think it's um, extremely difficult um, to treat a keloid. I mean, if it's a very severe keloid, you know, the, the, the concern the doctor has with removing it is that it's just going to come back, which is, which is correct. Um, but it may be to the case where it needs to be removed and then we do some prevention um, to prevent it from happening again, and to me, that's the best-case scenario for for a keloid. Now, if we know in advance that patient typically forms hypertrophic scars or they are keloid former, then awesome, we can get on top of it right away and um, and and save them that agony. Um, but yeah, it's it's tough. It's tough. I
1: can I can think of a patient right now that they're trying to get traction with the keloid and their surgeon won't do the removal because they're just like, Oh, it's just going to come back. So we're doing an unnecessary surgery. And my exact response was, well, we can try this for another few months, but I would recommend the surgical removal and then we prevent it from happening again. And so they're on board with this. Um, I think we're going to end up with a really good case study out of this particular patient. So they're excited about it. They're also weirdly enough a pharmacist. And I think that that's the other part is if you have someone who's willing to speak about it, your maven, so to speak, um, talking about how well it performed and what they can do, we get that sort of uh, investment and that passion. So I don't know, finding the right person in your pharmacy who's excited to talk about like, ooh, this was gross, but now look at it, it's so pretty. It kind of tends to work. Oh,
2: that's awesome. I Sarah laughs.
1: Laugh. She's like, yeah, I know what you mean. So. <laughs>
2: No, that that's awesome. And, you know, just to your point about the case studies, I think, you know, the more case studies we have out there, the, it, like you said, it helps everyone. Um, and it just provides that, you know, one more piece of documentation that we can show what compounders can do to, to help, you know, help impact patients.
0: So, Sarah, the, the first thing that comes to mind is, you know, I may have asked earlier the importance of getting the word out to patients and, and demonstrating what you are physically able to do within the pharmacy and from a personalized medication point of view. But what does a conversation sound like on the back end with a prescriber when we talk about the base technology, the formulations that a PCC member has availability to? Um, and what is, what's that process look like to hopefully try to gain the credibility and the respect from the prescriber as well so that they have buy-in um, and work with you in regards to, to finding a solution?
2: Yeah, so I, I think with physicians, you know, like we mentioned earlier, the case studies, I think any sort of data that you can provide them gives them peace of mind. I mean, obviously prescribers, you know, do no harm is their, their um, you know, what they live by. And um, so just providing them that information. The other side of it is what are their other options? There aren't a lot of other choices um, for them to help these patients, Um, Sometimes what I've done directly with physicians, one concern that they have is if they prescribe this, you know, gel formulation for the patient and it does nothing, um, the patient's going to come back and complain. I spent X number of dollars and this didn't do anything. So one way that I've um, kind of gone around that is worked with the physician directly and say, hey, why don't you send me two patients? I'm not going to charge for their their formulations. I just want to be able to give you the confidence that, you know, we can make an impact in, in these patients. And just pro bono, you know, just give the the, the formulation, um, the prescription to the patient. And then the physician's like, okay, well, a patient's not going to complain. They spent zero on something. Um, if it doesn't work, you know, it just doesn't work. So that's that's one way that I've, I've done with you know, hormones or any sort of new therapy that, um, and then once that physician truly believes in it, then they're going to be selling it to the patient saying, oh my gosh, you need to go, you know, see Sebastian because he's going to take care of that scar for you. And with the confidence that it's going to be taken care of. So that's one way.
0: That's really interesting, but I guess when it comes to scars, there's a a patient component to it, right? Patients in general, not necessarily the patient itself, but, um, do we see a length of time where expected results normally are achieved or is it one of those things where you, you have to reinforce obviously patient compliance, you know, the application several times a day, um, before they actually see a noticeable result?
2: Oh, definitely. I mean, we're, we're not talking an overnight fix. Um, you know, it's definitely going to be months and if it's sitting in the jar and not being applied to the scar then yeah it's not going to do anything um so yeah patient education is is huge with that but yeah i mean it's 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 a it's a process so
0: similar to hormones i guess <laughs> it's
2: not overnight unfortunately
0: as much as people would probably expect that to happen
2: i
1: i've said the same thing um but i'll also put a time limit and say you've got two years from the time of injury to the time that it's completely done. So until you hit that two year mark, uh, we can still do something here. So it may take a bit, but we'll get there. And the best thing you can do is just take a picture at day one, and then just compare it to where you are, even 30 days later, and people kind of go like, ooh, it's definitely changing, so.
0: You know, an interesting fact, and something that was was brought to my attention, obviously knowing the full breadth of, of what clinical services does, but just last year alone, you know, 75,000 direct pharmacist uh, consulting calls and messages that we were able to accomplish in, in one calendar year. And I think it's safe to say a very large segment of those are related to dermatology. Um, and So that kind of speaks volumes as to what independents are getting requested of in regards from patients, in regards from their prescribers. So we know that this is such a very wide area that requires a lot of specialty advice, a lot of unique situations, um, and then you know the myriad of formulations that are available to accomplish that, that final goal of delivering the best patient outcome. So for the most part, is this a trend that both of you have been noticing over the last few years? And knowing that it's such a, a big segment, um, how important is it to have access to such a wide formulary and a variety of bases that could assist.
2: Um, I, I definitely take a lot of derm calls, and I and I do think, um, like Sebastian was mentioned earlier, with everyone on Zoom and being more self-aware, staring at yourself in the camera. Um, I, I do think it is a, a growing, a growing niche market. Um, and, and definitely, you know, if this is not your strong suit, um, there are a lot of ed- educational opportunities. Um, PCCA usually puts on a derm conference. We have C4 derm, which definitely goes into wounds and scars, um, along with other dermatological um, conditions. So, education is key. I think Sebastian mentioned that earlier, too. When you go to that physician, have that education, or at least a baseline education, to get your foot in the door. Sebastian. And-
1: Yeah, I I can't imagine doing it without having education or the clinical support because, as I said, 10 years ago, we didn't know as much and we started learning so much more, but it's almost like we we didn't get this in pharmacy school. So you have to do this self-education, but it's such a steep hill to climb. Um, Sometimes you do need that assist. You need that mentor to carry you forward to get you started. And so our clinical services team, we've got true experts, uh, Nat, Sarah, Rennell, um, Mark Gonzalez, like we, they're also invested, so invested in the Durham world that it makes my job easy because I'm just like, Oh, what did you say? Oh, great. I'll just repeat it because we know we're learning from each other, but also that education piece. And then that formulary uh, database, like it's just, what is the latest and the greatest? Well, our team, our formulations team is developing it. And so we're always kind of moving the, sort of that scar therapy forward so without it, it it would just be like where to start and we see a lot of people cavitating just not knowing what, where to go so education mm-hmm. clinical mentorship and then that formulary database and pretty much we can help most patients with their
0: scars and their their needs yeah that's awesome and and so well said from the both from the both of you knowing that you're both so heavily involved in that capacity and that's why it's so great to have sarah on the podcast and to compliment everything that you do as well, Sub. So, you know, welcome and thank you so much, Sarah, for doing this. I know this is your fourth time. Next time we'll get you a five-timer jacket.
2: All right. <laughs> I'm excited. <laughs>
0: no, it was awesome. It was a pleasure having you. And, and, and thanks for all the information that you had to share today with our audience. And as always, thank you so much for tuning into this episode. If you'd like to learn more about some of the availabilities in relating to PCCA science, you may visit our public site at pccarx.com. And if you scroll down to the bottom, you'll see that you'll find a PCCA Science tab, which is a dedicated website relating to a lot of the clinical information, the scientific abstracts that, uh, that we discussed today. And if you would like to learn more about scars, there's additional content there, um, specifically under some of the proprietary items like Pracasil. Uh, For those that still want to follow along on social media, just a reminder, you may follow us along on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. And as always, click subscribe so you do not miss an episode. Until next time, this is Mike Delisio, and thanks for listening.